Christianese listeners, I don't exactly know how to start this other than to say something unpopular. But I have to say it. Christmas does not start until after Thanksgiving. If you're one of those people who starts celebrating Christmas as soon as Halloween is over, I totally get it. Because Christmas has so much going for it, and Thanksgiving is... Eh, it's fine. It can't compete with Christmas. But it does point us towards a spiritual practice that should not only be at the heart of the Christian life today, but was one of the most common commands that God gave his people in the Old Testament. Stopping, looking back, and remembering who God is and what he has done will literally change you and the direction of your life. This is Christianese. If I haven't already been controversial enough, here's something else. I think if we all took a poll and rated Thanksgiving on a scale of 1 to 10, it would come out at about a 5, maybe a 6. I think in general people like it, but it's pretty rare to find someone who says that their favorite holiday is Thanksgiving, and there are some people who dread the holiday. Some families are difficult, and other families are crazy, because they wake you up early in the morning and make you run a turkey trot. And Christmas, well, it's the holiday we wait all year for. So, on the one hand, I totally understand why we skip past Thanksgiving and rush to Christmas. On the other hand, it doesn't make sense for us as a culture to skip Thanksgiving at all, because we are obsessed with looking back. Christmas is all about the future. It's all about antici... Punching out the days in our Advent calendars, waiting to open the presents that are under the tree, writing letters to Santa Claus and staying up late on Christmas Eve in hopes of spotting his sleigh go across the full moon patient. But as a culture, we don't like looking forward. According to a recent Pew study, 63% of Americans are pessimistic about our country's future. But the past? We love the retro, the vintage, and just can't get enough of nostalgia. Every generation's nostalgic. No matter what, we all look back to the era of our childhood and kind of long for that simplicity. Two out of every three baby boomers are nostalgic for the 70s, and about the same number of Gen Xers are nostalgic for the 80s. But millennials, we change things up a little bit. We're the first generation who is nostalgic for an era we never lived in. We not only look back fondly on our childhood in the 80s and 90s, we also look back at the 70s and the 60s and the 50s and appreciate their movies, their music, and their style in ways that older generations never did. Magazines like Fast Company called us retro-gazers. We made thrifting cool. We revivified the vinyl music market. And to appease our nostalgia, Hollywood is making reboot after reboot. According to The Hollywood Reporter, there are over 30 reboots currently on TV. We brought Star Wars back. Harrison Ford is over 80 years old and still playing Indiana Jones. But if millennials were retro gazers, Gen Z is retro obsessed. They're sometimes called the nostalgia generation. Over 50% of Gen Zers would rather wear vintage clothing than buy something new. 
shoot, they're even reviving early 2000s style, which is objectively the worst era in fashion. It's not just generational though. As a society, we're obsessed with nostalgia. The biggest TV show on the air is Stranger Things, and the one artist who brings all the generations together, Taylor Swift, isn't making new music. She's walking back through all of her past eras. And then there's politics. The most potent political slogan of our day is all about nostalgia, make America great again. And that slogan itself is a piece of nostalgia because the guy who uses it stole it from Ronald Reagan. It was his slogan in 1980. We all love nostalgia. We'd love to look back because in changing, complicated and scary times, it's a lot easier to think of when things were simpler. When the world feels out of control or like it's going in a direction that we wouldn't want it to go in, we turn to nostalgia for stability. It's self-regulatory. It helps remind us of who we are, where we came from, and what we would like to be. Psychologists define it as an existential resource that we use to navigate stress and uncertainty, a resource that gives us the motivation we need to move forward with purpose and focus. So it makes sense that Gen Z and millennials would rely so much on nostalgia, because millennial adulthood and Gen Z entire youth has been tumultuous to say the least. And so nostalgia becomes not only a way to regulate or to remind ourselves of who we are, but a way to escape. It's a unique use of our memories that's primarily focused on emotions and the way things used to feel. And when we engage in nostalgia, really, Anytime we use our memory, we physically change. We tend to think of our memory as a hard drive. Some people have good memory, some people have bad memory. It seems to make sense that our brains like this, that when things happen, it encodes events somewhere in our brain, writes it down so that when we want to remind ourselves of something or remember a fact, we simply click through the files and pull it back up but that's not how memory works. You don't have a good or bad memory, a lot or a little. Memory's not a thing. So you don't have memory. You have an ability to remember. There's this spot in your brain. It's right in between your eyes, just a little bit above your brow, called the ventromedial prefrontal cortex. When your brain forms a memory, this little area at the front of your brain chops that memory up into lots of small bits and scatters it into existing knowledge centers. Your memories live diffused all over your brain. And so when you want to remember something, the ventromedial prefrontal cortex reaches out to all these different areas of your brain, grabs the pieces of that memory and reassembles them. And when it does this, it tweaks neurons. It strengthens or changes neural pathways. So as you remember, your brain is literally changing. Your ability to remember physically, literally changes you. And what's more is that neurologists have found when there's damage to the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, patients have a hard time defining their sense of self. Your memory isn't a warehouse. It's an engine of change that your brain uses to continually define you. So there's not one authentic you that you're trying to become, 
there's the you that's constantly being changed by the way you remember. Realizing that our sense of self is inherently tied to the way we remember is a little bit concerning because all of our memories are tinted and defined by emotion rather than reality and fact. Memories change over time, and what if we forget things? Do we become less of ourselves? No, well, not entirely. Studies done on Alzheimer's and dementia patients, those who have lost their memories, have found that patients still have a sense of self, but it's not defined by the trivia of their life, who they married, how long they lived in Saskatchewan, etc., etc. It's defined by their morality, what kind of person they are, and what they believe. So while we are profoundly influenced by our experiences and the way that we think about our lives, our morality is a kind of identity bedrock that extends beyond when our memories are gone and influences the way that we think about our lives and past events today. So for example, if you've suffered in the past, the way that you think about that suffering will be filtered through your morality. Do you believe it was for a purpose or not? Was God working for your good in that midst, or was it a punishment? What you believe will color and shade that memory. So, in the act of remembering, our brains are changing, and we are also defining ourselves. If you've been a follower of Jesus for very long, you understand that we're meant to grow to be more like Him. Our life should be changing. We think about our behaviors, how those should change, the things we should be learning, ways that we should be growing but we really don't often talk about what we should be remembering. Now, as I say that, I know it sounds like a weird gripe. Like maybe I'm digging a little too deep into this topic or reading into things a little bit too much. But when you read the Old Testament, one of the most common commands God gives his people is to remember. But when God points his people to remember, he doesn't direct them to nostalgia to saying, man, do you remember what the good old days were like? Instead, he points them to objectivity, to what he has done and who he is. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt and I led you out. Remember when I led you through the Red Sea. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, God says, Israel, remember the whole way I led you through the wilderness these past 40 years. That's a lot of really detailed remembering. And this remembering almost always comes at a time of rebellion, when God's people turn against him or, in his words, forget him. In Isaiah, in Nehemiah, in Judges, God says, you did not remember me. Psalm 78:42 says, they did not remember his power the day that he redeemed them. It seems sin is rooted in God forgetfulness and the road that returns to God begins with remembrance, reminding themselves of his commands and ordinances, promises, and character. When God's people recalled those things to mind, they immediately moved to confession and repentance, and then to praise and offering. This pattern is also found in the New Testament. For example, in Ephesians chapter 2, to a church that had no unity, Paul starts by saying, remember Jesus, remember what he did for you. And that remembrance would start the process of reconciliation, of unifying God's people. Our drifting away from God begins with forgetting. And our return to Him 
always starts with remembering. Nostalgia can only take us so far. It can soothe us, it can give us an escape for today, but it can't really give us lasting stability or hope for the future. God doesn't point us to nostalgia. He says, remember who I am. Remember what I've done for you. And that actually delivers on the promises that nostalgia makes. It gives us true stability in times of chaos because we know who's in control. It gives us peace in our identity because we know the one who has made us, the one who's called us to be like Christ, and in Philippians 1.6, promises to complete that good work in us. And it gives us an assured hope for the future. Because if you know the one who's in control, and you can trust his promises, then the future becomes a place of rest rather than a source of anxiety. But remembering is not just a personal command. It's not something you simply do in your quiet time in your prayer closet alone and have a personal internal sense of peace. When God tells his people to remember, he says you all remember. Together. Remembering is a communal event, and it always leads to the communal acts of confession, repentance, praise, and offering. In this process, the remembering, confession, repentance, praise, offering, the Bible collects it all under one term, thanksgiving. In Leviticus chapter 7, the thanks offering is also called the peace offering. It was a unique ceremonial offering that God's people made to celebrate the good things that happened in their lives. So whether a vow was kept, someone repaid a debt, you got well, after being sick, or you simply wanted to give thanks, you would approach God in confession, repentance, praise, with a sacrifice. Now, we're not called to that sort of ceremony, but it is God's will, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.18, for us to give thanks in every circumstance, according to that same rhythm. If you have a reason to celebrate the peace in your life, the good things that are happening, it is God's will that you approach him in prayer, in confession and repentance where necessary, for the sake of praise with an offering. Now, Jesus is our once and for all offering. You don't have to make some sort of new sacrifice. But as it says in Romans chapter 12, you should present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable act of service. Do not be conformed to this present age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The act of remembering not only changes our brains physically, when we are focused on remembering God, His goodness, what He's done for us, it forms us spiritually. Thanksgiving is a national holiday that encourages us to practice Thanksgiving. Well, it encourages us to remember the pilgrims and Native Americans but you can bring Christ-centered intentionality to that celebration. You, with your loved ones, whether it's at a Friendsgiving or your family Thanksgiving table, you can remind yourself of what God has done, praise Him together, and offer yourselves together to Him to serve Him in His kingdom as you move forward into the Christmas season. There's no better reason to hit a pause on the Christmas celebration and just for a moment to look back. And I know I'm called a Grinch because I don't celebrate Christmas until December 1st. But maybe, just maybe, 
This conversation about Thanksgiving has caused your heart to grow three sizes, and you will never again skip over the joy of Thanksgiving. This has been a production of Fathom Magazine. To learn more and to read exceptional articles, poetry, and thoughts about the Christian life, go to fathommag.com.